0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the latest edition of CouncilCast, the official podcast of the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. I'm Michael Koenig, former Capitol Hill staffer and digital director here at the Council. Today, we're joined again by our esteemed government affairs team, and we're going to take you around the horn to talk about what's shaking in D.C., uh, especially in the heat of the summer and how it might impact your business.
1: So to my right, we have...
2: Blair Bartlett, Director of Government Affairs and Hill Staffer for 12 years.
1: <laughs> I'm Joel Copper, Vice President of Government Affairs.
3: And I'm Joel Wood, uh, run Government Affairs, so the official podcast of the Government Affairs Division <laughs> of the Council. I'd like to hear the unofficial one someday, so I've been happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know that, that we want to hear That's all the jokes that you tell us, Joel, off mic. But so we've got a lot of we've got a lot of stuff to talk to you guys about. We have uh, skipped a month because we were all together in Colorado at EBLF, uh, having a great meeting with our benefits folks. Um, so first of all, let's start with: Do we have any updates on the tax bill? Anything on the pass-throughs? Uh,
3: we, you know, it is uh, definitely one issue that can keep you uh, staring at the ceiling in the middle of the night on uh, because uh, we have been. Uh, for two thirds of our member firms, who are um, are treated as pass-throughs, uh, whether LLCs, S corporations, or the like. Uh, They've been in purgatory over whether or not they're going to receive any benefits under um, H.R. 1, under the massive tax bill, uh, and whether or not that rate would go down to the 20%. Uh, And so, um, as we've uh, previously discussed, uh, the issue is, among all those provisions in the bill that giveth and then taketh away and put on top of the existing tax code, we believe insurance is left standing. However... It's up to the Treasury Department to interpret whether or not uh, our member firms, who are pass-throughs, are engaged in quote-unquote brokerage services, unquote, or are they engaged in insurance. Uh, We've made our case strongly to the Treasury Department. We continue, even this week, to make the rounds on Capitol Hill among those who are the Republican conferees. They're the ones who matter. Uh, and hopefully uh, get the right messaging into Treasury. And we do think that there you know, we could see something in the coming weeks, hopefully before uh, the August recess. So it's, uh, it means an awful lot of money to a lot of our member firms. We're in something of a whole pattern, but very, very active. It's sort of um, like a duck uh, paddling furiously under the water.
1: It's frustrating, right, because their hands are tied by the $1.5 trillion confines that they pass within the bill. But the message that we're receiving from everyone that we're talking to, I think is pretty positive that they want to be with us. And despite all the legal arguments for and against, and I think that's where it gets really uh, convoluted, a little more fragile, I think they're all with us politically when you make the case, $1.5 trillion of tax relief was granted to everyone and our sliver wasn't going to receive it. I think that everyone thinks that that's not the right answer. So yeah, to your point, I think we're hopeful that this comes out in the end.
0: All right. Moving forward, um, I know that there's not been a lot on the ACA. There hasn't been much traction it's gotten. Is there any updates there? Well,
3: one one update I would uh, raise that just today, uh, Senator Lamar Alexander, uh, I think most everybody's heard about the bipartisan Alexander Murray legislation to sort of shore up the exchanges and the cost sharing subsidies and the reinsurance corridor and uh, secure that into the marketplace that ultimately went nowhere because of the politics of abortion of all things uh in in the house of representatives and so while senator alexander as chairman of the health education labor and pensions committee and very influential voice on this has been working in a very bipartisan manner um, in his committee he sort of took the gloves off uh, this week and urged secretary azar at H- hhs to um, uh, to uh, grant far greater flexibility for states uh, in their 1332 waiver plans, uh, to be able to uh, tailor benefits uh, outside uh, the, the regimens of the ACA. And, uh, uh, and I think that that's where the action is going to be. We've certainly seen it in state after state like Idaho, like Iowa, like Wyoming uh, in this year that have attempted to uh, push the envelope with respect to uh, the minimum essential benefits. And so uh, if uh, uh, Senator Alexander has his way, uh, I think you're going to see more state flexibility. That can be a good thing and that can be a bad thing, uh, depending on how the states move. But if that means that uh, the states are going to move back to the situation of, you know, the kind of mini-meds of prevention-only uh, plans that we saw in the early days of the ACA that don't have actual uh, value in terms of health benefits then I think that's a negative thing and our, our members would feel that way.
1: It's interesting that this is almost you know I, I keep thinking about November and the impact that that's going to have on all of these policies like Azar has only been in the in-office for a matter of months he's already under pressure from some of the comments that his boss has made on drug pricing we know drug pricing is going to be a major issue in the coming months and years. Uh, and it's a complicated issue. It's one that we're getting more and more involved in. But rising costs is something that they're going to they're gonna dive deep into. He's already under the gun on, obviously, right now what's happening in the individual markets to this letter that Alexander Mur- or Senator Alexander sent him. The Alexander Murray legislation that got tied up in partisan politics. There's a wave that could be happening. And if the administration, the Republicans, want to actually get anything done, this is their real last chance possibly to have a significant impact on rolling back or recrafting the ACA. Uh, I have
3: great difficulty seeing how they get to the finish line on anything before the election. On the other hand, I have heard from some moderate, endangered Republicans in the House of Representatives that because of the looming price increases and because of the fact that they're going to be announced uh, in the weeks before the election that they've got to do something and they're going to figure out a way, Uh, I, I have great difficulty envisioning it. Speaking of uh, drug pricing, I would urge anyone to get in contact with us. Um Jay Wood at CIAB.com, Joel.copper at CIB.com. Just if you'd like to see a copy of the letter that we're sending to uh, uh, to the administration on drug price transparency. Um, this was our efforts have been led by our CB Council of Employee Benefits Executives uh, Advisory Board and uh, and, and certainly the issues surrounding transparency are, uh, are really uh, right, real and big sorry. for us. Anything to add on that, Blair? Oh.
2: Well, you're seeing the same with, with tax reform that you're seeing in healthcare, where you have Senator Alexander writing letters to the executive branch to make fixes because legislatively they cannot. And that is something, I don't wanna say it's different, but you're seeing that more and more. You know, with tax reform, it's it's not going to be a legislative fix on pass-throughs because it's not the wherewithal isn't there because
1: they don't legislate anymore no
2: (laughs) well because
3: i'm sounding like the frustrated democrat you are i know you guys weren't in the room on this one but even following the last passage of a comprehensive uh, tax bill when i was on capitol hill then in 1986 Uh, it still took a couple of years to get a technical corrections bill enacted. So uh, that's why we're heavily dependent on what Treasury decides to do. Uh, But just as prices on the exchanges are set to rise and in many instances rise dramatically and the number of carriers continues, plummet may be too strong of a word, but uh, fewer and fewer participants in many of the exchanges out there, just as that's gonna arrive just before the election, What's going to happen come July 31st uh, to pivot to our property casualty issue, Blair?
2: Yeah, the authorization of the National Flood Insurance Program runs out July 31st, and there could be a lapse. I mean, I hate to say it, and it's such a shame and it's disappointing, but you have the House that is going to end and break for the August recess at that time, and then you have the Senate that is going to break the first week of August and then come back. The hope is that we may have a six-month authorization to take us through the new year and get us through that the crucial hurricane season. The lapse is going to be in the middle of hurricane season and just a few months before big elections in November. The timing couldn't be worse, and there's no one to blame but themselves. And I
3: think the decision by Senator McConnell to keep the Senate in session in the month or most of the month of August and to cancel the recess may perversely increase the chances of a lapse. Uh, We have had some short-term lapses over the last five years uh, amid all of the growing dysfunction in in government uh, and on Capitol Hill on these issues because they tend to break along coastal, -coastal, uh, non-coastal lines as opposed to the classic Republican-Democratic lines. But... uh, we've had lapses but they've been when congress is in session and so they even if we had had a major event they would have been able to act quickly a little less clear how that would play out this particular august and the hang up as always has been uh, this issue of private flood uh, we want to see a greater uh, more dynamic competitive marketplace on private flood many lenders uh, will only accept uh, NFIP paper uh, and, uh, and uh, there is opposition from both the right and the left. Um, in the Senate, it's limited. It's not many, but it's enough to keep that from moving forward. And then you've got all the big-picture issues associated with actuarial soundness of the program, uh, which sounds great. We all want to have actuarial soundness, but in Steve Scalise's district in Metairie, Louisiana, actuarial soundness on a $90,000 ranch house might be a $20,000 flood insurance premium, and so that's just politically a non-starter.
2: Yeah, you have a lot of Hill staff looking at a feasibility study that FEMA put out in April. And so that has been heavily referred back to. And the fear with the private market is that it would take out money, take out policies from NFIP. And so it would be, you know, you wouldn't necessarily be able to have those private policies back up your NFIP policies. And you know, you always have to remember that flood insurance isn't just an insurance program. It is mitigation and it is mapping. And what, how do you pay for that if you take out your commercial policies and if you take out some private policies? And so that is, a, like anything else, it's a numbers money game.
1: How much, of a converse, how, much, how much noise are you hearing in this conversation, Blair, or, or energy towards increasing the take-up rate?
2: It is, it is mentioned, but the, what people aren't mentioning are what are ideas that we could do to get up, to increase that take-up rate
1: right cuz that gets politically toxic yeah. right when you talk yeah. about enforcement when you talk about tax incentives right.
3: whatever it's
2: and then and it's,
3: the home so builders and the, the realtors get are divided. mighty powerful on this right
2: mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, whether you're on a coast or not, we've had a lot of primaries since the last time we all spoke, Uh, California being the one forefront in my mind, at least coming from the left. Uh, But just in general, there was a Quinnipiac poll that came out today that had Democrats up seven on a generic ballot. And so I know that's tighter than it was 10. So that makes Joel Wood feel better. But it's still a pretty big number, which makes Joel Coproot feel better. So where do you guys land after the primaries? What's your outlook so far?
3: I'd say it's somewhat mixed, but I have trepidation as a Republican. I was in California, Joel and I were both in California um, on the night of uh, the, the primaries, which was good for, uh, you know, the worst case scenario in that jungle primary system that they have in California would have been that uh, in many races where there were multiple Democratic uh, candidates that you wouldn't have a Democrat in going into the runoff general election. And uh, that didn't happen. And so there are, you know, six or seven potential sick up pickups uh, in the uh, in the state of California alone. Likewise, the Virginia primaries, uh, you know, Democrats were looking good, but there was there have been some other primaries that have been going on. And I think that trans- that the biggest open question mark is the transformation of the Rust Belt, and uh, you know, is that when Ohio went 16 percentage points for uh, for for Trump over Hillary Clinton, and Senator Rob Portman got breeze to reelection in what used to be the bellwether state. Is that an anomaly or is that a growing trend like the South going Republican? But I would say all of my colleagues on the Republican side are extremely nervous. And the last comment, gratuitous comment I'm going to give is that I am very, very worried that the messaging for the overwhelming majority of Democratic candidates out there today is Medicare for all. And, uh, and I think that there are grave consequences. I mean, we've really sort of moved past the ACA, and it's now into that new era of debating how far should the, the buy-in be. Should there be buy-in? Should it be 55 and over? How do, You know, what kinds of uh, – what, what's, what's the framework of that going to be? Every Democrat's in a different place on that. But uh, the slippery slope tilt to uh, single payer, I think, is – You know, to me, it it is on the ballot this morning. I think
1: that's very real and very concerning. I completely agree. And I've got that weird feeling in my stomach that I had about this time before the presidential election. It was ours to lose, and we lost it. And I feel like we are slowly—I kind of wish the election happened a couple weeks ago. Trump is getting more popular. The economy is doing great. When you look at the fundamental kitchen table issues, I think that the current administration and current set of Congress is actually not doing so bad. With, for the average American that's not paying attention, you know. And so I just wonder if Democrats are getting a little over their skis on being overly confident that they're going to take back at least the House, if not the Senate. Well, well. Now, I'm still confident that there's going to be a wave. It's how big is the wave going to be. Is it going to be a five-seat majority for Democrats or a 55-seat majority for Democrats? And, and I, you're right, the Medicare for all thing is real. And all I'm meeting with candidates that are coming in, you know, just trying to just meet and greet with all the big packs in town. And we're the biggest in the industry, which is fantastic. And all of these guys, they're kind of in on the joke, they get the Medicare for All messaging and they're trying to find alternatives to that. That Some of them are on board knowing that they can't get elected to office without checking that box. And you know, you've got Nancy Pelosi saying, do what you gotta do, say what you gotta say to get here and we'll figure it out when you get here. And figuring out when they get here is not going to be easy. And I just see a lot of parallels between this debate and the repeal and replace debate where it was messaging to the base with no foresight as to what replace looked like. And I don't think anyone has real foresight as to what single payer or Medicare for All looks like and what, how that is actually going to impact their constituents. And my message to all these guys is, look, let's not lose sight of the prize, right? The prize is making sure your constituents have access to affordable, quality, good coverage, period. Not, let's, let's not blow up the system that works where 180 million Americans get their insurance from their employers. Let's make that work. Now, for messaging purposes, you can say that's what the ACA intended to do. Now, it failed to do so for all kinds of reasons, but we should be focused on getting good coverage for everybody, not, not focus on government takeover the whole thing because that's where we freak out.
2: Yeah, I think the Democrats aren't really known for their lawn game, right? So it's good for Republicans that the election isn't today. And what would hurt Republicans is if Nancy Pelosi said, "I won't be Speaker anymore."
1: I mean, the one, number one issue on <laughs> voters' mind right now is, is healthcare, and that's why they're all talking Medicare for all, Medicare for all. But to your point about Nancy Pelosi, that's a real big concern too, right? The average age, the average age of a Democrat in Congress right now is sixty-seven. And I think that's going to be pose a real problem for them if when they retake the majority and front and center faces uh americans that may not be able to relate to their to their base so we'll see how this shakes out
3: so just historic averages are something like 32 seats it only takes 23 seats flipping for democrats to retake control of the house Um, if you look at the six special elections that have occurred since trump was inaugurated uh, the uh, even while republicans have held most of those seats the Democrats have outperformed on average nine percentage points, and that's a, if you apply eight or nine percentage points across the board to every candidate's uh, uh, ballot from, a, uh, from two, a year and a half ago, that would be a wipeout of enormous proportions. I don't think for a lot of reasons gerrymandering just the state of the electorate, that's going to be the case, but it is very worrisome for those of us that are coming in it from the, from the right side.
2: We have two big primaries coming up next week, New York and Michigan, and I think I'll be better able to make predictions from that after seeing those results. You have a couple other ones in in August, like Florida at the end of August. I think people may take too much stock in what happens in primaries, um, and a lot of these that are in the summer months. It's going to be interesting because there is going to be voter fatigue and you're not going to see the numbers that people will think and they'll try to say, oh, we're going to have a wave. This is a bellwether election. Not not necessarily. So I'm interested to see what next week brings.
0: Well, that means we've got a lot ahead of us. So just real quick before we finish, we've talked about potential lapse in flood insurance we've talked a little bit about uh, technical corrections to the tax bill um, immigration and the discharge position are a big thing in the news the last couple of weeks is there anything else that we're looking at the house or senate doing this summer that's relevant or at this point is it going to be a lot of hot air
3: i don't know enough about the politics to say to to handicap it but opioids is uh, probably the the hottest thing that's going on right now
2: you'll get something uh the senate has passed it's has passed like maybe 20 or 30 out of committee, and the House has done twice as much, um, and they're looking at ways to increase Medicaid, have the ability to do these long-term rehab programs, and have the ability of nurses and nurse practitioners and physician, physician's assistants to do pain, pain management plans. You'll see a bunch of different packages, a bunch of different legislation that comes together. Um, That will be extremely bipartisan, but what that final package looks like I don't know because there are like a hundred bills.
1: We'll see. I think that it will be, I think they intend for it to be bipartisan, but I think we're going to see an interesting August because Mitch McConnell has vowed to keep the Senate in session through August to address some appropriations bills and some nominations that have been held up for political purposes. And Democrats think that the political reasoning behind that is to keep Democrats off of the campaign trail and here during August because they know it's going to be tough for, you know, I know that's going be tough.
3: conspiracy theory. But so,
1: no, but. it's <laughs> interesting. I, I'm, just, I'm just sharing this because I think that Democrats intend to force a lot of very difficult votes in August on health care issues, knowing that that's what's going to make the front page of the newspaper back home. And it could end up being a double-edged sword for Senator McConnell. And that could ultimately hijack oh, some op- opioid legislation. Uh, even though everyone intends for that to get to the the, the finish line so
2: and we'll know we'll the next few days what we're doing about immigration it was kind of set up that this week the house would vote on the Goodlatte bill which is the more conservative uh legislation and a compromise bill that the white house helped draft but then the president came out and said no i won't support the the compromise bill and that kind of messed up everybody and they're sure. whipping this week or clarifying earlier this <laughs> week what the president really meant because I know that that is, obviously, that is a sticking point for employers. Um, you know, what 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 are we going to do about immigration? And I know the, the good let bill wasn't good for a lot of moderates because it it had some worker requirements that that weren't um, accessible for a lot of the temporary workers that we see.
0: All right, well, on that note, uh, thank you, Joel, Joel, and Blair, for joining us. And thank you again for listening to the CouncilCast. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can find us at CIAB.com at the CIAB on Twitter, or you can email in at councilcast at CIAB.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Mark. Thank you.
2: Thank you.